You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So after a substantial first half and a sublime save from the Panther, Mr. Sanchez, it was a more, well, insubstantial second half with some substandard defending and, well, defenders that were hanging around like Subutio players. To discuss all this matter uh, and any other subplots, with me, as always, is Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. That was a, uh, a spectacular intro, or maybe a substandard <laughs> intro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's the latter, isn't it? Um, yeah, just the two of us at the moment. We may get possibly joined by someone else a bit later on, but we'll assume it's just the two to discuss another exhilarating win for the Albion. No, no, hang on a minute. No, no, it's the same old story, isn't it? Once again, another defeat, 2-1. Um, well, started with Sanchez. We had Veltman, White, Dunk, Byrne, midfield, Rush, Basuma, McAllister, Trossard, with Lalana playing further forward, really, and linking up with more pay. We'll probably talk about his connection up front there a little bit as we go on. But what did you make of the game as a whole? Uh, let's get into it straight away, I guess. As you say, same as ever. I think we, we actually don't need to record different shows now. We could just take out the team name and insert that as we talk about another performance where Albion start really well, either score or don't get the goal or get the goal and don't get the second goal. To half time comes, the team, other team changes things, we don't react, they equalise, and either we're disappointed when it's a draw at the end or we or we end up losing. And it's happened so many times this season that, you know, I've lost count of them, it's ridiculous. So we've, we've lost yeah. the level most points now, or one less than Southampton now at the top of the, you know, points lost from ahead or points lost, yeah, lost from being ahead. We've, it, it's just, to be honest, it gets ridiculous after a while. We were, Superb first half. They, they, you know, we could have had a second. We were unlucky hitting the post. We were so close to it with the offside as well. We had other chances or where we kind of had good positions and didn't quite make the most of it. And then second half was pretty dreadful, to be honest. I mean, we just didn't come out of the blocks. Potter, I think, has to take some blame personally. I think he, anyone could see that we were on, we were under the cost the last first 15 minutes of the half. He should have changed things. When he did change things at one all, it was too late, arguably. And also he made the wrong changes. Um, I would say Trossard had a very ineffectual game, should have been taken off. I'd say Lana looked quite knackered after 70, 75 minutes. Well, Mopay and McAllister both looked like they were full of running still. So why take those players off in the end? And yeah, I think we've we've been through it before so many times. We just lost concentration at the back. They got a poor, poor pass from Lana to give it away for the first goal. And from there, in fairness, it was a really well-worked goal. And then the second one was just, yeah, really poor. Um, obviously, Sanchez takes a lot of the blame, but also the guy was left unmarked as well. So, hmm. in all, it's, yeah, yeah, pretty similar story to what we've seen so many times. Can't disagree with any of that. We'll get into the substitutions a bit later on, but just one thing to mention, actually, um, Lalana, the one player you think would get subbed, um, it, well, he had the whole game, didn't he? Basically, um, yeah. and I mean, he lasted. He did look tired towards the end. Of it. To be fair, he did last pretty well by Lanana standards, which was good. And it was was a more in, impacting game from, from him, particularly in the first half. 
we've alluded to it slightly there. He linked up with Morpé, didn't he, quite a bit. And, and to good effect, I thought they were they were looking pretty good. Yeah. Obviously, he, he got the assist for the goal. Um, sorry, he, he scored the goal, but got the assist for the offside goal as well, which Morpé did take well, to be fair. And he didn't but know it was going to be dismounted. Really well, when he's offside, and then if he wasn't offside, he'd probably missed it. <laughs> Annoyingly, yes, you're probably right. But no, I mean, we we are burying offside goals really well, I have to say. Um, but no, I mean, promising signs there maybe of something linking up. Morpé did have a better game, I thought, overall. Yeah. He took the one chance, as I said, that was offside, but it was one chance truly he had, and he banged that one away. Um, Lalana, I thought, he, he was quite critical in his post-match um, thing about not taking an extra touch with that second half chance where he just sort of slid and hit it. Um, but I thought that was a reasonably good effort, really, con- considering I think if he'd taken a touch, he would have got closed down. Um, so I thought he did reasonably well. I think McAllister was having a good impact um, in the game as well. And I was disappointed to see him come off. Again, we'll get on to subs later. But Trossard's the man I think probably should have come off because he really didn't have any effect on the game, did he, at all, particularly in the second half. Um, yeah, yeah. I, to, to give credit to, to Trossard, a couple of times in the first half, he gave it away and then did chase and win it back. You know, he he, did, he wasn't he wasn't trying. He just wasn't really mm-hmm. affecting the game in the final third, which in effect is what he's there for. So, but it wasn't that he, you know people have, have seen mutterings of players not giving their all and not doing this and not doing that. But I think that's that that's not right in my view. I think Trossard, mm-hmm. when he did give it away, would chase after it a couple of times really really well and won it back and. You know, kind of, and that's that's an encouraging sign that he does that. But he he just wasn't having the final third effect, and so he should have been the one taken off first. Um, and probably Lalana after that because of his, I think he he did, he did tire in the last twenty minutes or so. Hmm. Yeah, I guess the fact we're not playing for another eight days or seven and a half yeah. days, whatever you want to call it, maybe factored into the equation when he decided to give him the full run. I guess it's the first one he's had for quite some time and he hasn't had many. It was also his first start since December the 27th, Lalana. So good to see that at least. Um, as yeah. I said, it was, it was to good effect while it lasted, wasn't it? And um, I think a really good first half. As you, uh, I think you may have mentioned, we hit the post as well, Lalana again there. Um, pretty unlucky. It was a good header, actually. Just if he got slightly more on that, um, it would have just stayed the right side of the post. The goalie was beaten. Michael wouldn't have got it anyway, yeah. So it's not like yeah. he would have got yeah. it if it had been. Yeah. I mean, we've got some stats actually on Adam Lalana, courtesy of uh, Twitter, namely Albion Analytics. Um, he's posted some stuff on there saying 14 progressive passes played and received, five touches in opposition box, four shots, two on target, of course, one being the goal, 21 pressures, nine of them successful, which is a decent ratio. So showing the high press element of his game there. And five, sorry, six tackles and interceptions. So generally good stats. Um, when you compare that as well, also with Pascal Gross, who and um, he also mentioned some stats for. He he said Grosh had fifteen progressive passes and dribbles, nine out of fifteen long passes completed, nine progressive passes, nine crosses, and five shot creation creating chances. So again, he had a reasonably good game as well from those stats. Um, I think overall, you know. I think it was a good first half in general. We were on the front foot. I think Basuma was looking comfortable enough. He was having a better game. But I felt that we, again, it was exactly what we've been saying in recent weeks. They're the sort of team that are going to take the game to us somewhat. Um, Even though they are better away from home and they are a good counter-attacking team, somehow you're still going to get more space against the Leicester than you are against the Palace. And um, we... I think we did look better. We looked crisper, more incisive, more decisive, more first time with our passing in that first half. But a lot of it was to do with the space available. And I think um, we were benefiting from it. Do you think, I mean, bad luck with the header hitting the post aside, do you think we should have been 2-0 up going into the the break, given that Sanchez made a very good save as well? But um, in terms of our attacking play, should we have made that count more, do you think? Or... Was it about right? I think you could argue. I think you, you could argue we, we deserved to be at one and a half nil up, maybe or something like that. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, we weren't. Exact, we didn't have chance after chance, but we had good positions where we didn't quite make the most of it. I mean, unlike normally, I wouldn't, you know, particularly attack the players. Mope was unlucky to be offside. Well, not unlucky, but he could. You know, he was just trying to like, play on the last player and almost was right. You know, got it perfect. Um, Lalana was unlucky. You know, there wasn't really any glaring misses there. It was. I mean, I would say I would. I don't think I criticised anything about the first half particularly. It would all be the second half that I would, I would go, yeah, focus on rather hmm. than the first. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, I mean, so often we've had this, haven't we, where the second half teams have come out, they've adjusted tactics, they've seen what we're doing, they've noticed things that they can do to negate our issue and, and, and affording Basuma less space to build things from the back was one of those things. Looking to exploit Dan Byrne became an increasing uh, plan in the second half, um, particularly in, in the terms of the pace down that side. Um, those are the two elements, I think, where he was looking to change things up. And he just, um, you know, he just, I think, sent a rocket up them a little bit as well. And we've seen this time and again, haven't we, this season? West Brom, we've seen it with Southampton, we've seen it with, um, well, plenty of other sides uh, who have turned it on in the second half and have had a better game. And it was the same with Leicester, wasn't it? They are a yeah. very good team. They're, they're very incisive, very clinical. And even without some of the better players there, when all said and done, you've still got a team of Tielemans, even a less than 100% Vardy, still look sharp, still look dangerous. Yeah, and, and they exactly. can close you open, can't they? Two bits of quality that opened us up, but we did leave ourselves. I mean, it, was a, it wasn't a great ball from Lallana that got in this interception. But once that was done, I mean, they, there were two <clears> balls. And that's the difference between them and us, I think, probably, that in that position, we'd have probably just looked to pass it, pass it across sideways a bit and not... And even if we had pushed forward straight away, we put in the quality to do that. Whereas they just went straight yeah. to Tillman's br- brilliant ball from Tillman's to to um, Ianacho and a brilliant finish from Ianacho, who, for all the fact he hasn't done brilliantly at Leicester, is still a quality player. Yeah, so, he does tend to take his chances when he gets. Yeah, them. that's what I was really worried well. about actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sanchez came out quickly, tried to you know, and he kind of just chipped it over him. So I, I don't yeah. have an issue with that goal, bar in the fact that it was a very careless from Lallana to to give it away. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think Dunk as well got a bit caught between. It was a clever ball, but he got caught between two minds there, didn't he? I think he inexplicably for me decided to come out. He didn't particularly have to, I, um, and then obviously a bit of deception on the, you know, showing the eyes with the with the pass, um, and yeah, Dunk I mean, slipped, I, I slipped thought, a bit, didn't he as well? I thought at the time that it made like Dunk look silly, but actually it was a bit harsh on him to, to, for that. I think he, you know, he, it was a really good ball, and it just split open the defence and. But yeah, I mean, you could argue maybe his position wasn't perfect, but I would yeah. that would be my argument. I think he probably just was left a bit exposed, and you know, kind of because our midfield was maybe a bit further forward, and there was a bit more of a gap then suddenly for Tillman yeah. Tillmans to find the, the perfect ball, but which he did. So you say um, it's um, yeah, it's I'd, kind have of... more, I'd have more issue that we should have done more to stop that tide that was growing and growing before it, rather than specifically about the goal. Yeah, um, with the subs. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a second. Just you know, made a change. I was just going to say on. On the matter of um, the, the, you know, Leicester playing that kind of attack and we don't tend to do that, even if we had have done that, you've still got to have Dunk do what he did in, you know, or the Leicester equivalent. So even then, it may, he may, yeah. his equivalent... Um, I think even if we do, I'm not sure you have the quality. Even then, it was like a perfect ball from Tielemans. So, <clears> yeah, it, and, a good, and a good finish. There was a little bit of a kind of uh, a slight deft movement, wasn't there, with Inacho yeah. as well. He kind of he, he used his... Um, his body language well to disguise what he was going to do a bit as well. So I mean, it was it, a quality it was so finish. The goal, it was, yeah. you know, it had been coming for the, the probably the whole yeah. second half, frankly. Yeah, well, let's talk about that then. So, I mean, the subs, you, again, it's it's seeing the adaption of, a, of the opposition in the second half. And unfortunately, we're, we're growing in the number of cases where Graham isn't really making the right substitutions, either in terms of seeing things early enough and making the changes soon enough, and also in terms of the personnel, I thought he got yeah. everything wrong substitution-wise in this game. Yeah, I'd say um, he's become more reactive than proactive. And one of the things that yeah. I was hoping when he first came in, because obviously the Chris Hewton thing was always you could wait for the 70th minute and then you'd, you'd see the subs suddenly come on and waiting to come mm. on. And, you know, in, for example, Potter's first game in charge, he brought on you know, two attacking players when we were already 1-0 up, and that was unheard of under under Hewton. You know, that sort of thing. He'd gone... Five in midfield, probably really, really deep, and try to hold on to the one nil. Instead, we won three nil. You think, oh, this is the manager who, but you know, kind of really wants to you know, gamble. And to be honest, if he if he gambled at times and took people off five minutes of the second half and he sees things, I reckon he'd probably get it right more than he got it wrong. You know, overall, he's but a lot too often he, you know, Arsenal game was another one where we waited until they scored to make the change, and mm. that came on scored. And I think then only then did we actually make the change that we should have made earlier. And it's it's frustrating because if I can see it and you can see it, why is the man who's paid to do that job not able to see mm. it? And I don't understand why, you know, he's supposed to be a proactive manager, that sort of thing. But so he's obviously, yeah. something's obviously I, changed there. I mean, you could you could think, well, 
can you really see it from the sidelines? It's probably not the best for you to have, actually, the game. However, I've been a Sunday football manager and I, I would certainly vindicate that's true. But ultimately, if you look at, go back to his very first game in charge and plenty of other examples since, including some earlier this season, he has made proactive changes. Yeah. So he, he is seeing it or he is able to see it. And I think it's a symptom of just as lack of confidence with the, the forward line. It's a symptom of the situation we're in. I think we're getting cagey. We're clogging up a bit. Um, he's he's holding out. He's I, I, just being reluctant to make bravado decisions because of the consequences, which are getting ever more great, aren't they, if they go wrong? And the, the paradox is they are going wrong anyway by not making yeah, the changes. The almost anything he could have done would have shorted. You know, I, I think they should have brought another midfielder on probably at that point in, in, mm. in the game. They could have taken off one of the more attacking midfielders like McAllister or Grosh or Trossard or whatever and brought on a more de- you know, a defensive midfielder maybe or at least someone who can help me get control. Proper probably being the obvious one if he was fit enough to play 40 to 35 mm. minutes, whatever, depending on, on fitness. Because he's obviously quite good on the ball and can, is quite good at ball retention and, and protect mm. the back line quite well. So I would, I would have done that because we were starting to to not you know, have any control. If you can have all the attack if you want on the pitch, if you don't have the ball, it's not much point, really. Yeah, and I, I don't think we're managing games well enough, In aside from the substitution side of things. We're not really managing, and we're not seeing games out. Um, Palace, much as it was aggravating the hell out of me to think we were going to draw the game, because that's what it was looking like. The fact of the matter is, you take the point there, we should be getting a point just through composure from a dead ball scenario yeah. on two occasions where you just got to place it. And if you just get a, a draw in that game, that's game management of a sort as well, yeah, isn't it? And we it's, might not have lost the last two if we still at least got a point from that. Yeah. But even, I, I think even if... going back to the start of the season, that's the case, because Chelsea, we scored our goal and then uh, Reese James scored within two minutes of us scoring our goal, something like that. And then obviously the Man U game, we conceded straight after scoring the first. And then yeah. obviously... Yeah, rip-off though the that game was, it was still a, fa- a factor that we could have seen that yeah. out. We could have stopped it. And I know the ball apparently, I mean, they're saying it, it, should have, it shouldn't should have been a corner and there's this, that and the other. But but the fact is, we, we could have stopped it getting anywhere near there yeah. if we just hold on to possession. There's things you can do and we've done it well in the past. We're not doing it at the moment. Yeah. And if Even you're just grinding game, out... We equalised just before half-time and we played poorly, the, the 4-2. And mm. then they scored pretty much about two minutes later again to take the lead. And if you go in ahead against Man U or you go in level against Everton, it's a different game then to when you're to what happened in the end. Yeah, that's right. And just those two, three points more that we'd have, because um, at the moment we are sitting, what is it, we're um, three, uh, we're goal difference above um, so Fulham. They've played a game more, haven't they? So there's, you know, we're not quite the worst case scenario yet in terms of the bottom three, um, but it's getting closer and closer. It's repeated patterns. We, it's, we couldn't be any closer. I know. We, we literally couldn't just buy one or two goals worth, I think. Um, it's a repeat of patterns, being poorer in the second half, the game management issues, late concessions in either half, in this case, the second half, um, which, of course, is a repeat from the Palace game. Um, there's a, there's too many patterns developing here, poor substitutions. And bringing on Jahanbach, which he did in, was it the West Brom game? where he made Yeah, uh, something? no, it's a Palace game, wasn't it? Oh, the Palace game, yeah. And it's inexplicable. That really gets on my nerves because we're chasing the game. We're chasing points. Um in one game in particular, we're already knowing that we need to win this match and we're, we're drawing. In the other game, you know, we, we're drawing as well. We want to get those points on the board and we have strikers on the bench and, you know, they, give them a go. You're not going to get, they're not going to get goals unless they not only get a go, but they get a yeah. series of goes. And Jahan Batch, the only thing I can think is that he's, he's the kind of player that could pull something wonderful out of the hat. It's true that's possible. We've seen him do it a couple of times. But it's it's a small margin of chance, isn't it, really? Yeah. And you're more likely with a conventional striker to have more of a chance. Um, Given his Zekiri likeliness being... at, um, at Leicester in the Cup, I, I would rather play Zakirian, to be honest. I don't think he's... Yeah. Has he played since then? I'm not sure he has. But he looked really lively at Leicester, took his disallowed goal really well. Um, looked, yeah, a lot livelier than Percy Tal, for example, who I thought had a bit of a bit of a subdued game and didn't quite get up to the pace. But I thought Zakiri looked really lively and you know, you kind of think, well, why is he sitting on the bench behind Jahan Batch, who, other than a, a, a one-week spell, basically, has offered pretty much nothing from Albion in two yeah. and a half years. Yep, exactly. Can't argue with any of that. And 
Um, let's talk about Sanchez, though. I mean, I've mentioned in the intro there about his um, sublime save in the first half um, to prevent a disco dancing celebration, perhaps, from Tavares. Oh, sorry, I had to get another pun in. Um, I mean, that was a cracking shot, to be honest. I love <laughs> Peter. Recover, please. <laughs> it's not that bad. No, I mean, it, it was a cracking shot. It's the kind of shot I said at the time with the guys I was watching the game with um, on Zoom. It's the sort of shots I love seeing where you dig into the ball and you just catch it and you get that beautiful, um, beautiful power shot. Um, lovely shot. Could have been slightly further in the corner. Other than that, it was exactly yeah, perfect. It, it, was, um, it was quite a decent height for Sanchez and it wasn't right in the, uh, the side yeah. of the ball. So it wasn't it, as amazing as it looked you know, maybe live. But it was powerful, and I th- I had the impression, even if it went further in the corner, he might have saved it. He looked, just looked so up for that save. And it's about where you place it, isn't it? We talked about a mistake earlier in the season where he didn't, or did he or didn't he palm it to where he could have got it safer. Um, but in this case, you know... Well, the Burnley straight, game, wasn't it? Yeah, the yeah, Burnley, Burnley yeah. But with this one, there's no doubt about it. He got it into the safest spot, boom, straight out. Um, really good save. In contrast, of course, he's made what I feel really sorry for him for, a rare mistake in terms of an out-and-out mistake. It was a corner. Um, there's absolutely nothing threat-wise going on there. We had it covered. He should have punched it, and he just missed it. And there wasn't anyone impeding him as such, only very briefly, very early on. and That didn't really affect how, how he got to the ball. He should have. He just took his eye off it, I guess, or misjudged it in general. Then, of course... Um, the other issue there is the marking. There's no one marking the man at the back post there. You shouldn't have a player inside the six-yard box or thereabouts who hasn't got anybody goal side of him. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and in fairness to Amate, he took it really well because they were saying on the commentary, it looked initially like he just hit him and went in. But actually, if you look, he actually properly gets down and heads it. And it's, it's, a, it's a well-taken goal because it comes to him really quickly after the, the Sanchez and, and, the, and the group of players there missed it. And actually, hmm. to control that header back across and keep it down, it's, it's pretty impressive, I think. It's a... Yeah, he did, he did do well there, didn't he, actually? Was, he should have been more taken. No question about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you had, uh, Danny Welbeck was beyond him. I don't know if he, his job was to pick up any yeah. loose balls, so maybe it wasn't his fault. But there was, there was a bunch of people in the middle of the area. One of them, if not Danny Welbeck, should be picking up the man. Yeah. But he, had, he was unmarked, effectively, and there's no excuse for that. It's the same as the West Brom goal. Morphe lost his man. Yeah, I think um, the issue we have at the moment is we're looking with, with Webster out, especially. I think we're looking a bit more, a bit more dodgy at set pieces, and that means that Sanchez is coming for maybe one or two more than he he maybe should have been. Maybe another time he might have left that because hmm. you know he could have been confident that you know there was like two or three defenders there to head it away, and if it then comes to someone, it probably headed straight at him instead of anything. But you know, on but West Brom, I think early on they dominated us from set pieces, which meant Sanchez was coming for everything, and I think we hmm. have to accept that. You know, he, he and Ryan are very different keepers. Obviously, everyone will know that I was a big fan of Matt, Matty Ryan, but I, ne- I was never going to say that he was dominant from corners. If you're going to get a keeper who is dominant from corners, then the quid pro quo is you're going to get some mistakes at times, and other times they'll get away with it. And as he has done, I think at least once when he flapped at one at some point. Um, but yeah, on, on like the odd time, he'll, he'll concede a goal as a result. But we'll also not concede goals that maybe we would have done because Sanchez will come and claim it uh, when. Actually, they might have been a goal if, if Ryan had been in goal. So, you know, there's there's, there's you know, perhaps, you know, alternatives you know, either way around. But yeah, it's I mean, you know, you have to accept that Sanchez is, is at fault for it. There's no way, you know, mm. if, as much as yes, the people should have marked, you know, but that's that's the job of a goalkeeper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only other incident I can think of of note was there was a penalty claim wasn't there which I'd forgotten about till I saw ref watch today and I'm getting I, I used to like Dermot Gallagher but I'm getting increasingly irritated by his um, refs union kind of stance on everything in terms of that particular decision I wouldn't necessarily say I disagreed with him um, though um, he said he thought it should have been a penalty so did Sue Smith who was in the studio but Stephen Warnock said that he from one angle behind he didn't think it was a penalty because I mean, what, what it looks like is Vardy's touched it with his left foot as Dunk tries to get the ball at that moment. So it, although it looks like Dunk has touched it, that it was actually Vardy that touched it away, Dunk therefore makes contact, should have been a pen. Stephen Warnock saying that from a certain angle, I think it was behind, somewhere behind, you can see that actually Vardy does touch it, but Dunk slightly touches it afterwards as well. 
I don't know. I haven't seen it again since, so I'm not I, sure. I would say it's one that's probably not a clear and obvious error either way. So yeah, it'd probably yeah. go with the on-field decision, whatever happens. And I'm not sure yeah. what, what sort of view the referee had. I think there was enough doubt that, that that's just probably why the yeah the um, VAR, VAR didn't give it. But there also probably mm. you know was enough video or footage that it should have been a penalty. That if it had gone the other way, if Michael had given a penalty, then probably it probably would have stuck with the on-field decision. Yeah, I think so. And, and we've had our, um, we've been on the on the wrong end of, um, of that sort of situation, haven't we? The aforementioned Man U game, I think there's a couple of other incidents as yeah. well. Where, um, either, either way, Dunkey didn't need to dive in there. I think that was one where he made, I, yeah. I wouldn't say so much for the goal, but he certainly, I didn't think he needed to dive in there. He was only going to going to the touchline, so he could have, yeah, he'd been better off just keep, trying to keep up with him. And it wasn't exactly a long space to go, so... There wasn't a lot for Vardy to do really from there, so yeah, it was, it was an unnecessary risk. Yeah, especially with Vardy, he's he's so quick-footed as well. Yeah. Um, and when he when he dived in, I first of all I thought, no, don't do that. Then he seemed to have got it from the first glance, and I thought, well, actually, fair play, fantastic tackle. Then I went into the third phase, which was looking at other angles and starting to think, oh, oh, <laughs> knowing our luck, here we go. But no, thankfully that wasn't given. Not that it made but, a difference. In but the we've end. seen quite a few times recently, you know, the different footage, the different ways of looking at things that VAR can do. Where there's incidents, I think I talked about the other, a couple of weeks ago, the show where where Chelsea played uh, Liverpool. Uh, no, Chelsea played Man U, was it? And there was a potential penalty. And from different angles, it looks mm. like one one it looks like that Greenwood handballed it first, and the other one it looked like Hudson Odoi handballed it first, and that causes enough doubt that. Probably there's no overturning it either way if the AR just goes with the on-field official because hmm. there's enough doubt either way for it to not be a clear and obvious error. Yeah. Um, one other thing, actually, just from today's Sky Sports stuff, I have slightly irked me, and I can sort of understand why, because people aren't looking in very comprehensive detail at the back catalogue of incidents that have occurred. But somebody was talking about the IFAB decision to over uh, to, to amend the um, the handballs for attacking players, because they had Dermot Gallagher in there, they were talking to him about it. Um, and they were saying that incidents like that Fulham recent one, um, you know, that wouldn't have got disallowed. And they said, but it's no use to Fulham now, because if they go down by one point, then that's going to be unfair on them. And I was thinking, well, they got a point through us getting a goal disallowed. Plus, we are two points worse off for the same incident. Um, you know, it's kind of, I wish people wouldn't say that unless they've done more research, to be honest. Yeah. I can see how it happens. But, you know, and, 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 and I've said that, but there's going to be other incidents. There'll be games in West Brom I've had, which I can't remember or possibly didn't even see, um, where they've probably had decisions like that as well. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's that. I do think in terms of the, the laws of the game and the rules, the sub, subdivisional rules that they come up with and, issues of subjectivity there's so much debating going on there and I feel like that's a subject for debate this summer Peter when we've finally got no more football to talk about in such ferocious um frequency um or actually it's thinned down now hasn't it we're down to one a week at the moment yeah so. and we've got a two-week mm. break coming up yeah indeed oh, nice. yeah and we may we may actually have a discussion on on general football topics at some point during that international break week. The, the other season. one that they need to sort out is the offside, because, I mean, that, again, it surfaced the other day that Werner pointing to to be for the ball and get being offside as a result of his hand, and they're now That's suggesting against that Liverpool, yeah. Gonna be, yeah, mm. against Liverpool. Mm. They're now suggesting that offside's going to be based on the part, the, the legal part of the body that you could you know, hit the ball with, so your arm can't be offside, basically, but your shoulder can be or something, and, it's all. It's all so complicated. I mean, personally, I think, it, given the, the ridiculous nature of the VAR decisions, they should change the rules back to clear daylight, daylight between the players. Because yeah. that, that if you're going to have the VAR checks with so much detail, they should move back to the old way of doing it rather than being level. Because being level means that your toe is ahead of someone. That's not an advantage, you know. So you shouldn't be giving offside for that. Yeah, and, and to me, I think if your body's leaning in and someone else's body's leaning out to try and catch you offside or whatever. Um, or just they happen to be in that position at the time of the ball being played. Um, there might be some sort of bodily gain involved there in already leaning forwards into a run, but that should be a legitimately allowed yeah. um, advantage. I think if your feet are level, um, that should be the benefit of the doubt. That should be on side. And if there's not clear daylight, the same should be applied. It's essentially what Arsene Wenger's been um, calling for as well. Effectively, that's the toenail, toenail factor. So if you've got a line there, and your the lines are overlapping or or just matching straight up to each other, that should be 
on side. Just have it that yeah. that's the rule. Then everyone knows that's the rule. Then you can you can at least have it feels like a bit more flexibility that this it, you won't feel like you're getting these stupid decisions and you're still going to get marginal stuff, but it won't be at ludicrous moment where you've got someone's upper arm offside, as you said, um, or um, or even just the torso, I don't think should be an issue. I think that should be okay. Just do it with the feet and have daylight. That just makes it as simple as it can be. It's never going to be perfect. There'll still be debating points. People who don't like VAR want that anyway. They want to still have something to moan about down the pub after after games when we're back to normal. But, you know, at least you're, you're limiting the amount of ridiculousness because the reason we both thought VAR would be a good thing is because it would snuff out Burnley double handballing it, going up the other end and scoring, yeah, yeah. which is what happened to us. And that sort of stuff. That's what you want snuffed out. But you don't want tiny, tiny marginal decisions being scrutinised over a minute after minute after minute in slow-mo, distorting the reality and the, the real time. Well, so there's, all the, the, there's all the fuss about clear and obvious errors and that sort of thing. And then mm. they go into milliseconds of millimetres yeah. of you know, offside. And, you know, and yet, and quite often, they don't even get the right type, the actual right clip because they don't have the right clip when the ball is actually kicked anyway. So yeah. how they can judge someone offside by a, a millimetre when there's a millisecond clip that they've kind of like they showed the wrong exactly the quite the wrong second is beyond me. I mean it's it's become yeah. a game where the, it seems in, you know people should be inclined to disallow goals and actually football is about goals. I mean admittedly Albion can't score any, but most teams it's about goals anyway. Yeah, that's it. And we talked about the referees union. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? It's just a way mm. that's the way it felt in that West Brom game. It's a way for um just to close up shop even more. You know, yeah. if there's um and dare I say it, even you could talk about the big six getting biased decisions. If that is the case, that's another outlet for them to do that as well. So, yeah, oh, hang on, we didn't give a penalty. We've got the right to maybe argue we could. All right, let's let's change it. You know, it's a very frustrating situation. Anyway, there we go. Um, so I think just in summary, then, it's a, not, not a good enough day at the office. Very disappointing not to get something out of the game. And, of course, our misery was compounded by Liverpool managing to stretch their club record run of five um, home defeats in a row to six by managing to lose at home to Fulham with, with quite a weakened squad, which has been... Yeah, can I have a friend quite... about this? Uh, yes, go uh, ahead, over to you. Pretty annoyed. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, what on earth Klopp was thinking, playing three young players at the back and like dropping Alexander-Arnold on the time when they've got like no one else really available is beyond me. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's ridiculous. So he basically kind of put up the white flag, dropping Fabinho, dropping Alexander Arnold. You know, it's just an embarrassment. And he basically Fabinho was it missing the, as well. Yeah, he gifted Fulham the the points basically. And another side, a side note, which I think I mentioned on the WhatsApp group, because I find it really odd that Fulham had seven players in their fourteen who played yesterday who were on loan. That mm. is to me that's ridiculous. I and I was saying to you, I looked up the rules, and the rules seem to be that you can have a most two UK loans, UK league loans, or. Yeah. over a season or at a time and four of the season but you can have as many as you want from overseas and it's like most of their best players are from over, are like from overseas loans Ariola, Anderson uh, Matt Meyer who they just signed you know Lookman's now over from I think he's at Leipzig now permanently isn't he so you know they, mm. they basically kind of got a squad of loan players which and I have no issue with Fulham I just think it's ridiculous they're allowed to basically with all the money in the Premier League sign a squad of loan players to keep, to keep them up for one season and then potentially do it again next season we wasn't there an issue? Wasn't there something to do with you? Know, there was a fuss about Watford, wasn't there, with loaning between clubs, and yeah, they had a load on loan. Yeah, thing, didn't they? I, I thought so, there was a limit of five loan players, but overall in a squad. But that might just be the yeah, lower, did. The, the football league rather than the Premier League. But yeah, I find it all very odd. It's like I wouldn't want us to have that situation. And it's like mm. if they're literally their best players. I mean, Ariola is by far their best player, and a player they probably couldn't afford to buy because he cost so much. Um, Anderson's another one who's up there. Probably Lookman's been super. He's been excellent. Season. Um, mm. You know, lost his cheek. Good player. Yeah, yeah. But they're mm. they're basically built on their solid defence, and the two sort of main players behind that are Anderson and and um, Ariola. And it's it just seems unfair that mm. clubs are allowed to loan that many players in. There should be a, a limit of like at most five. I mean, even that's too many. I think, but you probably realistically you're not going to be any less, not many fewer than five. Let them do five and five, but. It does seem just an odd way of doing things. And it seems it's not very good long-term planning for Fulham either. Mm, true, agree with that. Um, finally, for the first part, I was just going to say as well, I put a three-quid bet on Newcastle to join West Brom and Sheffield United at the end of the season in the bottom three. Since then, they've gone from, um, well, 
weakness to weakness, right over the opposite of strength to strength is here. Um, they've carried on slipping. They did get a draw, but it was away at West Brom in what was a woefully bad game. I did see some of it. Wish I hadn't. It was dreadful. Um, of course, the draw means they've gone above us by a point. Um, what, just two or three things to mention with that. I mean, I, I put three quid on at seven, so it's not going to be a massive windfall if that does come to fruition, but I'm quite happy if it does at the moment. Fulham in general, I quite like as a, as a club and, um, Newcastle have really flattered to deceive in the division. So I'd kind of rather Newcastle went down in one sense. Um, they're only a point clear. And if you look at the goal difference, that's usually the telling sign. And if you look at, uh, the bottom of the table, Sheffield United, obviously away adrift in points, but they've got minus 29, West Brom minus 36. Fulham have only got minus 11 and us minus eight, but Newcastle minus 17 and Burnley minus 16. Um, but that's largely due to the fact Burnley have managed to get thrashed by City and Tottenham. But Newcastle, it's a it's a gradual collective amount. And that's where the telling sign is for them. Obviously, we've got to make sure we get enough points to get above them. We're playing yeah. at home to them in a, the game after next. Um, and we'll come on to those upcoming games in a minute. But, um, you know, it's getting desperate. We're goal difference above Fulham, a point behind Newcastle with a better goal difference than them. Um, so pretty tight in there. I think... For me, I think we kind of almost write Bernie off at this stage on the basis that um, they're four points clear and they just look like they're going to grind things out enough. They're not out of the woods, but they're, they're on 30 points now and I, I think it's highly likely they'll, they'll grind their way to safety, won't they? The way Any thoughts on that? Being a struggler at the bottom, doesn't it? They're kind of very good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Saints, Saints won, didn't they, at Sheffield United? So they've, they're on 33 now, despite their woeful form. That's probably saved them now, I think. Um, Saints, of course, being our next opponent. Well, we're going to take a short break there, Peter. In part two, we'll just have a look ahead to the upcoming games uh, in the next couple of weeks. I've done a poll on Twitter as well uh, to gauge opinions on how people are feeling about the rest of the season. So we'll talk about that and any other football news and a couple of other thoughts um, from the weekend coming up in just a moment. So we'll be back after this break. So hello and welcome back to part two of the latest episode of the BRP. We've been talking about the Leicester game, Peter, haven't we? And um, off the back of that, and the, well, actually, I put out a Twitter poll um, to gauge reaction, but mainly most of the results came in before the Fulham game, actually. So um, to be honest, they haven't really changed after the Fulham game. The, the results are pretty much on a par. What it was was survive with a bit to spare, survive just drop just the um by just a short margin with uh, us reigning xg champions as a consolation prize or um down and out with a whimper so survive with a bit to spare survive just drop just or down and out with a whimper and survive just was 41 percent of the vote um clearly people think it's going to be tight 68 percent thought it was that or just dropping out because second voting after the 41 just surviving was 27 for dropping by a short, short margin. 17% think down and out with a whimper and only 15% thought we'd survive with a bit to spare. This is from 151 votes, by the way. Um, so the general mood is um, it's getting close. <laughs> um, however, the mood is also still favourable in terms of the, the optimism is there that we'll still just about pull it off, but it's not going to be comfortable. How do you feel about it? You, do you feel the same as that? I'm very much on the fence in between the two options that are very popular, to be honest. Um, yeah. I think the next two games are huge and we can't, you know, given we've got a reasonably tough running, I'd say, with United, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton in the last nine games, as well as Leeds and Wolves, who neither of them will be easy either. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean, frankly, no game's easy this season, so we could just as easily lose the others as well. But I don't think, yeah, I'm I'm slightly concerned that we've got, yeah, quite a tough run in. So we've got to get at least four points from the next two games, I would say. Hmm. Um, ideally beating Newcastle in the process because they're, yeah, they're, you know, kind of going to be a tough one. So that's obviously now missing Ings, um, which is a real bonus. Newcastle with a lot of injuries, although there are rumours around that they might be able to rush Wilson back for a game against us. And if that was the case, that would be a, a blow. Because he's obviously mm. their main their main goal threat. 
Um, Unless they rush him back too soon and he comes off injured five minutes in and is out for the rest yeah. of the season. He's also um, got quite a decent record against us on the whole. I know, obviously, we had a pretty awful game against us this season, but for Bournemouth, he's got quite a decent hmm. record of scoring goals against the Albion. So, not as true. It would be good to have if he's still out for that one. But I think, yeah. I think it's it's going to come down to, you know, kind of a matter of a point or two or maybe three now. We've, we've let slip our lead. We've kind of, you know... We've given up. Fulham, I assume, will probably lose against Man City, so we'll be okay this weekend. But the weekend after, they, I'm not quite sure why, are playing Leeds because they've already played their game from the cup weekend, but they've now moved another game to there. So I'm not quite sure where that's from. Or, um, and that's where we could, if we don't get the points, we need to drop into the bottom three. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a bit annoying, isn't it, actually? Um, yeah, because um, they played the game more. If, I mean, if if they can lose to City and we can beat um, Southampton at the weekend, that would be yeah, huge, huge, wouldn't it? Because we, uh, particularly if City can thrash them, which is always a possibility with City. Yeah, because we're only um, ahead now, aren't we? So it's all very tight. Yeah. So I mean, in the ideal world, we win, they lose five nil with with the nicest, best respects to Fulham, and we we make a three point lead with the goal difference, and still that game in hand against Newcastle, effectively. But we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, I mean, there was quite a bit of debate on WhatsApp. I'll just quickly read out something I posted myself just to see what you think of this. I think you may have read it anyway uh, at the time. Um, talking about if things went the worst case scenario and we did get relegated, we may be able to solve the striker problem if we go down. And um, with greater resource than most at that level, we are in a, we would be an attractive proposition for up-and-comers um, for the next Tony or whoever it might be. So we could acquire the right fit and give them that vital link in their development ourselves. Using the example of Tony, we've looked at him on more than one occasion and have monitored him, but signing him out of League One to the Premier League would have been a huge leap of faith, which uh, we obviously felt wasn't worth the risk, given that we're still talking substantial fees anyway. However, waiting on his next step with Brentford not only attracts the problem that they're having a strong possibility of promotion, and uh, retaining him, which is what might well happen this season, regardless of whether we go down or not. But that given um, in that successful next stepping stone um, yeah, uh, place in the, in the, uh, in the championship, uh, his price will already have increased exponentially. But being in the championship ourselves, and hopefully then going straight back up, that advantageous resource solves the problem of enormous risk with potential, well, Jolion... Uh, Joe, Joe Linton-esque um, rewards, shall we say, where you, you know, you you just spend loads and you you never know what you're going to get. And I think the best candidate in either division for us is still the is still Graham. He's still learning. He's still growing, both in general terms for developing players, um, but also you know just in terms of I think he's he's the best man for the job. And I have to say the other point I made, which I, just to quote as well, is that I'm delighted the fans are not allowed in grounds now because at the moment. I think there'll be a lot of infighting, definitely metaphorical, possibly literal in some cases, like there was on one occasion uh, under Sammy Hoopier for that Millwall game, I noted. Um, for those, I mean, it could have made a very toxic atmosphere and assuming crowds wouldn't have had a significantly positive effect on results earlier in the season, that is, obviously, in which case there isn't an issue to get annoyed about. But, um, so what do you make of that? I mean, in terms of would that be at least one upside to going down? And no, what do you think, think that, about the crowd element? The response was that we also already arguably have players who can score at championship level. That isn't the problem, in a sense. I mean, Mope obviously has got 20-odd goals at Brentford. I, I'm Given his age and where he is, I, I'm still yet to be convinced, frankly, that Tony will make it in the Premier League. He, oh, right, OK. You know, he's obviously not He's not as young as... He's, he's older than Mope, isn't he? He's been around for quite a while, you know, hmm. at his age. So, I mean... Yeah, we'll have a look, yeah, but... There's yeah, he's been around for a fair league, while. And, and the championship, mm. you know, there's no guarantee that if we, you know, stayed up and then spent a load of money. He's 24, so he's about the same age as Malpe, so he's been around. But he's, mm. he's not like 18 or whatever. So, I mean, I'm not saying he won't make it, but I'm not, not saying, you know, there's no guarantee like Mope that he, who has done okay, but not exactly set the world on fire, that he will. And I, I think if we go down, Malpe and, and Connolly will get goals between them in the championship. And that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it would be interesting to see. I guess we could possibly, I mean, it wouldn't be Tony if we went down, but if we could get somebody else, um, a League One striker maybe in the offing, that kind of thing. In terms of Tony himself, I think he fits the profile. He's still young enough at 24. 
Um, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I've heard I him interviewed a number of times. He's a bit older, a couple of years older than that, to be honest. I thought he was. Hmm. He, he seemed to. I remember him being quite he, being around, starting as a youngster at Newcastle, was it something like that? Quite a few. Yeah, he, he was. So yeah, he, he was at Newcastle around quite a long time. So I, I thought he was a couple of years older. But um, hmm. I, all I'm saying is, I mean, you, you look at, for example, Darren Huckabee, who for years was a, a key player in teams getting promoted and then never quite made it, and was always then sold hmm. on a year after teams went up because he never quite made it in the, in the Premier League. And there are, you know, a lot of other options like that, players like that as well. So there's no guarantee that, you know, you kind of, you bring someone in. Obviously, it's a different, different market to what we're currently using. So it Yeah, there's not. And obviously, I can't say with any authority because we just simply don't know. But I, I have the hunch that he, he would do the business. He's the kind of striker. I think he's a bit different to Morpé. Morpé play, plays more. He is a centre-forward of sorts, but he kind of almost plays off the shoulder more. And he, he looks to probe in certain spaces in a different way to Tony. Tony's more predatorial I would say he's kind of he, he's just um, he's just a conventional out and out striker for me um, even though he has played wider in the past I think on no, occasion but... he, he wouldn't mm. make it I'm just saying that we obviously have no proof mm. either way at the moment so the same could happen if we signed someone and they went up I mean the interesting yeah. thing will be if we did go down is who stays I mean I think a lot will depend on you know obviously if we have like lose like 10-12 players that's a lot to replace and a lot of work and we may start not that well because we're bedding in a lot of new players, whereas if we kind of persuade all but maybe one or two to, to stay, to give it another year and go, then I think we'd have a really good squad ready to go with also the potential additions as well. I mean, another one who could do quite well in championship, possibly given what he's, we've seen so far is Sakiri even. You know, he kind of did, you know, just give him, give him some game time in the championship, he might do okay. Yeah. Yeah, it isn't all bad if the worst came to the worst, but I'm still very, very desperate for us to stay oh, yeah. in the division. It could potentially lose, you know, whereas we might lose Basuma this summer, it could lose even four or five of our better players who would be hmm. a big blow. And obviously, I mean, you wonder, for example, whether in that situation Lamptey might stay for a year because of the injuries that he's had and the, the fact that he's now out for the season. You know, would anyone take the sort of gamble that we would require them to in terms of money to actually, you know, to, to sign him given his injuries this season? So I think I read something yeah. he's played 11 games this year or something like this season, something like that. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, and of course, yeah, the news has come. Yeah, he's had an operation, I think it was on Saturday, mm. um, on his um, continually persistent hammy issue, I think it is. And um, yeah, he's out for the season, which is a blow. Um, I'm not I'm not really surprised after we heard the news of a setback. Um, I'm kind of hoping maybe just before the end of the season. It's not the biggest issue. The bigger issue is if Webster was out for the season, um, because we've already lamped it and March. Yeah. Webster as well, it would just be... Yeah, and the biggest issue, I think, in a way, who's the least easy to, resp- to replace is March in some ways. We don't yeah. have a natural left wing-back. I mean, Beltman's mm. done really well in position of uh, of in, in position of, of Lamptey and, you know, kind of done... Bernie's better covering a centre-back than left wing-back, but you you don't really have anyone directly replacing March, and that's something, unless they think Parbovnik is ready, if we stay up, we've got mm. to address next season, that we don't have anyone who can fill in for March. We need yeah, because I mean, we, we put on Al Zate in the game of the weekend, 68 minutes for McAllister. Um, you know, again, he was fitted into that position where he really just doesn't flourish. And again, at the beginning of last season when he first came in, but I think that was kind of the momentum he got from coming into the team and that sort of thing. But now he's not really had a great season. He just looked a bit out of, hmm. out of position. And the last time he, he started midfield, we won at Liverpool and he scored the goal. Although, admittedly, it was a bit of a bit of a freak goal. He still kind of he still kind of did kind of contribute in that way. So. Why, why move him out to the, to the wide positions he doesn't do well in? Yeah, true, true. Well, that, that pretty much wraps up things up overall. Apart from just um, on any other matters, we've mentioned the Lamptey injury news. Any other news this week you've picked up on, Peter? Yeah, I think Oldham, I was going to say Oldham sacked um, Harry Kuehl, which I think is about their third manager of the season or something ridiculous like that. It's kind of, um, yeah. and they're, doing, they're not doing well, particularly, but they're not doing terribly, you know, so... And apparently, according to BBC, I set to appoint Keith Curl as their manager. Oh, right. OK, that's interesting. Yeah. Who obviously just left Northampton not that long ago. So the managerial merry-go-round is in full... Uh, full <laughs> <flow>. <laughs> Certainly is. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that pretty much wraps it up. The only other stuff, really, is just the notice board kind of thing. Um, just to mention that we are now affiliated with the Sports Social sports um it's a 
uh, podcast network that we are with. It's www.sport-social.co.uk, isn't it? If uh, people wanted to check out any information about them. Um, if you want to contact this show, it's uh, Twitter. It's at Brighton Rock Pod. You can email us brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so um, certainly would love to hear from you. We've had some good feedback in recent weeks, lots of messages and things. So keep them coming, guys. It's all very good. Um, also a shout out to Tim. Keep listening. We really, really appreciate that. We, we, um, Peter, a friend of mine um, known as Big Phil, has, uh, has joined me in doing a film podcast called Film 5. So we started up as well. Um, so if anyone wants to check that out, they can look it up um, on various uh, podcast platforms. That, that's Film 5s with me and Phil. Um, any other stuff from your end, Peter? Nothing from me, no. I think that's a wrap. So only other thing to mention is we've now got a week until the game. It's, uh, it's Sunday. It's uh, 12 o'clock, isn't it, the kickoff? It's our first game on BBC. It's a live league fixture ever. And first time live on the BBC for a very long time, I think, in general, um, including cup games. Um, we've it's, it's away. We're better away than we are at home, aren't we? So hopefully that, that will be a good sign. Southampton, aside from their game of the weekend, have been in woeful form. And as you said, Ings is out now for three weeks. That's been confirmed. Gives us at least a glimmer of hope. Not that we've done very well with but with weakened teams recently anyway. <laughs> um, so a quick, in case we don't do a, a, a pod, we may do one later in the week. But if we don't, quick prediction on the Saints game. 1-1. One, one. Yeah, I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. I've been getting results wrong um, pretty much all the time recently. So I should have gone for a Saints win. But I, I think I'm going for a one-all draw as well, yeah, actually. I think okay. we'll... I can see us, you know, kind of getting a point there, but I think, yeah, we'll, and and that'll at least get us one more one more point clear of Fulham, hopefully, because I think they'll lose to City. Newcastle got Villa home. It's a quite a big game that because it's, it's a game at the moment. Villa aren't on great form, and Grealish has been out. So if Newcastle could nick a win there, that'll be a real blow. I'm hoping that they can they can revert, revert to type and lose comprehensively. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll wait and see. In the meantime, thanks very much for joining me as always, Peter. And in the best traditions, we'll sign out as usual. So here we go. Stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.